good Thursday and welcome to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Glad to have you along here today. We'll bring you feature agricultural news reports along with a look at regional and national agricultural news. And we'll start with regional agricultural news headlines right after this. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. The California Strategic Growth Council has approved over $74 million in grants to protect 54,000 acres of agricultural lands at risk of development. The investments are part of Round 8 of the Sustainable Agricultural Lands Conservation Program, a state program protecting agricultural lands, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and strengthening primarily rural economies. This is the eighth round of annual funding from SGC's SALC program and brings the total acres of agricultural land protected or in the process of being protected through the SALC program grants to more than 195,000 acres. Investments from this round of funding will create 25 agricultural easements in 17 counties as far north as Siskiyou County and as far south as Santa Barbara County. This suite of easements will total approximately 54,030 acres. Safeguarding this agricultural land will avoid an estimated 619,227 metric tons of CO2 equivalent over the next 30 years, which amounts to taking 133,424 cars off the road for one year. SGC will also award 20 capacity building grants as part of a new component of the SALC program this year. These projects will facilitate the development of agricultural conservation acquisition projects in 33 counties as far north as Del Norte and Siskiyou counties and as far south as San Diego and Imperial counties. While initially the SALC program had allocated up to $3 million for capacity grants, the Strategic Growth Council voted to increase the allocation to $4.4 million in response to the high demand for capacity grants from across the state. Capacity grants accelerate progress towards the California's natural and working lands goal to conserve 30% of California's lands and coastal waters by 2030 by increasing the number of projects supported for future investment. Additionally, the SOC program has awarded three planning grants to two public agencies and one California Native American tribe to support planning for the implementation of sustainable community strategies and the protection of agricultural lands. SGC administers the South program in partnership with the California Department of Conservation. According to the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Service's Pacific Region Milk Production Report issued recently, milk production during November totaled 3.33 billion pounds, down half a percent from November of 2021 and down 2.3 percent from October of 2022. The number of milk cows on farms in California was 1.72 million head, up 4,000 from November of 2021 and unchanged from October of 2022. Production per cow in California averaged 1,930. 35 pounds, down 15 pounds from November of 2021, and down 45 pounds from October of 2022. 
In a celery crop update from Mark on Cooperative, Oxar, California is the primary celery growing region. Disease pressure is dramatically reducing harvestable yields. The Salinas, California season has ended. The Santa Maria, California harvest will continue year-round. Arizona and California desert production is underway. Florida production has started. Size profile is currently small and production will not ramp up to normal outputs until early January. Despite multiple areas of harvesting, expect elevated markets into January due to limited supply in California and Florida's season is just beginning. With the current 2018 Farm Bill set to expire, there is talk about expanding specialty crop coverage in the upcoming 2023 Farm Bill. Essentially, there are two kinds of crop insurance that fall under the Farm Bill. The first of which is the Federal Crop Insurance Program, which covers losses due to a number of conditions, including bad weather, fire, insects, and plant disease. Then there's a non-insured crop disaster assistance program, which insures against natural disasters only. Generally, specialty crop growers have fairly few risk management options because they have more specialized requirements for technical assistance, market program, and disease and pest management. Growers of fruits and vegetables do use federal crop insurance programs. California is at the top of the number of policies sold at nearly 23,000 for almonds, grapes, oranges, and walnuts, which are the top commodities covered. That according to Daniel Munch, associate economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Nevertheless, there are huge gaps for major fruit and nut crops. On average, 43% of acres remain uncovered through the federal crop insurance program or the non-insured crop disaster assistance program. For vegetables, the average uncovered share moves to 47%, according to Munch. Of fruit crops, 89% of strawberry acres, 87% of kiwi fruit acres and 65% of peach acres have no crop insurance coverage of any kind. Of vegetables, lettuce crops, nearly 100% are almost completely uncovered by insurance, 66% of cabbage acres, 64% of pepper acres, and 61% of squash acres are also completely uninsured. Low coverage for strawberries and lettuce may be related to the highly centralized production of these crops. Coverage is excluded from any operation whose total adjusted gross income exceeds $900,000. Even with this cursory analysis, the magnitude of risk that remains for specialty crop producers is revealed. According to Munch, the lack of data and information in thinly sold specialty crop markets remains a strong barrier to the design of effective products, especially those outside the scope of direct disaster losses. A report issued in September of 2022 by USA's Economic Research Service concluded that nine specialty crop growers interviewed new little about the programs. These farmers reported the most significant barriers to purchasing crop insurance were the application process and limited time available due to farming and marketing commitments. It remains to be seen whether federal insurance programs can be tailored in ways that are specific enough to benefit the growers of these highly diverse crops. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be Hero, Superior Bees, Superior Pollination. 
Storms that dropped rain and snow on the Sacramento Valley earlier this fall are encouraging. But David Guy, president of the Northern California Water Association, said the precipitation season is still young. As of November 17th, Shasta Reservoir held about 1.395 million acre-feet of water. That compares to 1.096 million acre-feet a year ago. At about 326,000 gallons, an acre-foot can meet the annual water needs of a family of four or five. Well, I think you start the water year with more reservoir storage than we had last year, particularly in Shasta, but also a little bit in Oroville. So I think we start, you know, this water year in a better place than we did last water year with respect to surface storage. But then with respect to groundwater resources, I think we start the year with less groundwater because there's been so much reliance on groundwater this last, you know, several years and even really the last decade. So I think we have to kind of weave that together. Then I think the precipitation has been encouraging. There's been quite a bit of snow in the the Sierra, which is obviously great for the east side of the uh, Sacramento Valley. And then we were encouraged because the first storm that came up the Sacramento Valley went up into the Shasta watershed. And that was really encouraging because last year, as you know, people will remember, none of those storms went up into the Shasta watershed. That's why Shasta ended up so low and the folks on the west side of the Sacramento Valley ended up with no water. So uh, we're seeing some encouraging signs, but you know, obviously it's still very early in the water year and we'll just hope that there'll be these uh, trends of atmospheric rivers and more precipitation to come. Although runoff from snowpack feeds many of the state's reservoirs, Shasta is different. Guy said most of the runoff that flows into that reservoir comes from rain. And with few storms delivering precipitation to the Shasta Basin last year, reservoir levels dropped significantly. The Sierra Nevada, obviously, is where most of the snowpack occurs. And of course, last year we saw the Sierra had really good snowpack, at least uh, from a couple of storms last year, particularly the December storm. And so that really helped the eastern side of the Sacramento Valley get through the through the year and the reservoirs were able to capture that water and be able to spread it out throughout the year. So that was encouraging uh, the other hand, the Shasta watershed, you know, which is the largest watershed in the state, uh, tends to be more of a rain-fed system. There is some snow in the upper part, but it tends to be more of a rain system. And last year, it seemed like every storm dismissed the Shasta watershed. So, uh, and that's normally, of course, been the most reliable watershed in the state. That's why we have Shasta Dam, and that's why the Sacramento River is the largest river in California because of that big watershed. But hopefully this year we'll get some of those storms. We'll uh, find its way into the Shasta watershed. For irrigation deliveries to return to normal or near normal this season, Guy said Shasta levels would have to be full. He also wouldn't complain if dam operators had to make a few flood releases because of heavy inflows. Having Shasta full also would provide cold water deliveries for endangered fish. We basically just need Shasta Reservoir to fill. And, you know, you, you hate to wish anything more than, you know, a full reservoir and nobody's looking forward to a flood uh, dynamic. But in some ways, that's almost what we need this year. I think we would welcome a little bit of flood releases from Shasta. So I think if we can get Shasta Reservoir full, then is what that does is not only, you know, you have the water behind the reservoir, but it also then allows you to operate the temperature gates and the uh, supply gates on the reservoir uh, to help with cold water management for salmon. And if we can do that, then it really frees up the water for just about every other purpose. So bottom line is we just need a couple of big storms to hit the Shasta watershed and get the reservoir full. And it'd be nice to even have some flood releases early in the year if that's possible. Federal water deliveries were reduced by as much as 82% for producers on the west side of the Sacramento Valley this season. 
Not only did that affect farmers, but workers and communities who depended on those farms were equally impacted. What Guy said he'd like to see in 2023 is a more balanced operation of federal water projects. In 2022, the Bureau of Reclamation, which operates Shasta, focused on one life stage of one salmon species. While he said it's important, the 2022 operations didn't consider other fish species, nor did it factor in the widespread devastation it caused to communities. This year, the west side of the Sacramento Valley was just devastated. We had 600 square miles that were fallow, you know, very little rice. And of course, that had impacts not only on uh, the farmers who didn't have any water, but it also, of course, affected the local communities. It affected groundwater. There was a lot more groundwater pumping. It affected some of the communities, the disadvantaged communities who depend upon water. Um, and it affected, of course, the communities from an economic perspective and the labor force. There was definitely an exodus of some labor. So I think uh, we just cannot afford to have another year like that. And quite honestly, one of the things we're advocating for in the North State is that we just have a much more balanced operations plan than we had in 2022. Uh, there was a real focus in 2022 on salmon, uh, one life stage of one species, and that's important, but uh, there's a much bigger story, and that includes all the other species, that includes all the uh, communities, and includes the farms, and so we really think 2023 needs a more balanced operations plan, and I think California just depends upon a more balanced plan than we had in 2022. One way to address the groundwater overdraft that's occurred in the area is to fill Shasta. That way growers won't need to pump to irrigate their crops. Groundwater recharge also can help address overdraft. But Guy said it's kind of a catch-22, and surface water must first be available to recharge the underground supply. And the good news is at least we're starting the year with a little bit more water in storage than we did last year. But we just need more surface storage and more water in storage. Uh, that's the only way we're going to help the groundwater issue. And then, you know, if we can do some of that, then hopefully over time we can keep recharging uh, more and more groundwater with surface water. But of course, that requires that you have surface water availability. And uh, the Tamaclusa Canal is a good example you know, just hasn't had any water at all in the last five years. It's been a really rough spell other than one year where they were able to get some water. So uh, we definitely just need Shasta Reservoir to fill, get some water on the Sacramento River and get water into the Tamaclusa Canal and, you know, get that water both out on the farms as well as groundwater recharge. We need an opportunity to recharge the groundwater aquifer system for sure. Plans to build Sites Reservoir, which would provide 1.5 million acre-feet of off-stream storage west of Maxwell, continue. Guy said he's heartened by the state including the project in its water supply strategy. Well, I think there's been some encouragement from the administration, the state administration, as well as the federal for that matter. But uh, the state administration has prioritized sites through its water supply strategy. The governor named uh, Antonio Villagrosa, Mayor Villagrosa, as the new infrastructure advisor with the goal of really advancing infrastructure like sites and to do it quickly. So I think there is a lot of kind of motivation, a lot of inspiration for the need for storage. And of course, sites, I think, is one of those projects that seems to be the, the most logical of the of the major surface reservoirs. It's off stream. I think it would provide benefits to uh, not only farms and cities, but also fish and wildlife. So I think it's a it's just a really nice candidate for a reservoir. It could potentially break ground in the next several years. I uh, have all the things lined up the way you were talking about. But uh, I think that's just going to require leadership from the governor to uh, Mayor Villarosa and everybody else who uh, needs to permit and, and advance a project like that. So uh, I think we just we encourage everybody to keep pushing on that. It's time has come to, to build Sites Reservoir. 
Most of Northern California's precipitation occurs between December and April, so we haven't even hit the wettest months yet. The water year officially started October 1, and the state experienced some nice storms since then. But we'll need a lot more to help dig ourselves out of this prolonged drought. This is Vicki Boyd reporting for My Ag Life. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with Phycoterra. Introduced Senate legislation to reform the H-2A Ag Guest Worker Program after decades of trying faces slim odds as another lamed up Congress winds down. More than 350 food, farm, and farm worker groups came together on the bill, sponsored by Colorado Democrat Michael Bennett. Increases the number of H-2A visas and opens the program up to year-round jobs for the first time ever. It creates wage certainty for farmers to protect them from harmful swings in labor costs. Saving farmers, Bennett claims $23 billion over 12 years or $2 billion more than a House-passed version, but still not winning over Republicans. It is disappointing that we haven't been able to get a Republican in the Senate to act in a bipartisan way the way the House Republicans that were here this morning have been able to do. But hope springs eternal because time is not our ally here. Not with a House GOP majority taking over power in January, so groups like United Farm Workers, led by Teresa Romero, have weighed in. This legislation creates a temporary, renewable legal status for farm workers who are already here in this short term with the opportunity and option uh, to earn permanent legal status several years into the future. Many Republicans call that amnesty ahead of securing the southern border. Senator Bennett disagrees. That's not amnesty. That's a recognition that anybody who spent decades working to feed America should have the opportunity to apply for lawful status. But legislatively, it's a last-minute Hail Mary. I have assurances from Senator Schumer that if we're able to get some Republican votes, we can pass this as part of the omnibus. The difficulty that we've had is disentangling the politics, and I think we have to set that politics aside if we're going to do the right thing for American agriculture. Politics complicated by even more politics in passing a giant omnibus budget on Christmas Eve. Alltech recently announced applications are now open for the Women in Food and Agriculture Mentorship Program. Now in its third year, the free-to-join program matches applicants based on their preferences, which can include gender of mentor, areas of expertise, language and industry sector, and offers opportunities for women in food and agriculture to develop meaningful industry connections. For more information, log on to wfa-initiative.com. The Department of Agriculture last week mailed the 2022 Census of Agriculture paper questionnaires to all known agriculture producers across the nation and Puerto Rico. Producers in the states received their survey codes last month with an invitation to respond online. Any producer who has yet to respond online now has the option to complete the Ag Census at agcounts.usda.gov or by mail. Producers who have already responded online do not need to respond again. The deadline for response is February 6th of 2023. 
State National Agricultural Statistics Service Administrator Hubert Hamer says that they know producers are busy, which is why NAS worked to make responding to the ag census more convenient than ever before. The Census of Agriculture remains the nation's only comprehensive and impartial agriculture data for every state, county, and U.S. territory. Responding to the Census of Agriculture is required by law, and the same law requires NAS to keep all information confidential. National milk production this year is running just about higher than a year ago at this time. USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. Agriculture Department analysts have been projecting that U.S. milk output this year will top 2021's output by only about 700 million pounds at 227 billion pounds. And Monday's USDA milk production report says that as we started the month of December, the nation's dairies had already produced this year a little over 207.7 billion pounds of milk. So barring a disaster, 2022's U.S. milk production will come close to the analyst's projection. The USDA report says since this summer, monthly milk output has been topping the same time frame one year earlier, November's production totaling 18.3 billion pounds, up 1.3 percent from November of 2021. The dairy herd averaging a bit over 9.4 million head. That's 38,000 head more than November a year ago. Also, output per cow up, averaging a bit over 1,900 pounds last month. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The nation's average gas price declined again last week, following 11.9 cents to 309 per gallon. The national average is down 57.1 cents from a month ago and 20 cents per gallon from a year ago. The national average diesel price fell 14.1 cents last week, reaching 477 a gallon. Overall, the price for a gallon of gasoline is down nearly $2 compared to six months ago, but oil prices may put an end to the decline soon. Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan says that while the decline should take the national average under $3 a gallon in the next week or so, it is soon likely to fade as oil prices have held in a $70 per barrel range. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Net Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 